Well, good morning, and thank you for being here. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, there's many faces that I don't recognize, which means you may be a guest. If you're a guest of ours, thank you for worshiping with us here at New Beginnings today. Man, it's an honor. We just get flat giddy when people come uh, to, to worship with us, and I really am excited that you're here, and I hope that you feel right at home uh, with us today. And um, when you came in, you walked by some wonderful people that have shirts on that say, welcome. Uh, they may have seemed like they were getting in your business. They are there on purpose. We want them to, to meet with you and connect with you and, and help you get connected here. And so uh, I hope that you got one of those guest bags on your way in, just a way for us to say thanks for being here. And if you have any uh, questions about New Beginnings or where things are, you find one of those people with welcome on their shirt or one of our staff, they'll have a, have a name tag on to tell you who they are and what they do. Just say, uh, ask them any question, and uh, they can help you get squared away. But I'm, I'm really glad you're here. My name is Matt Darby. I get to be uh, the pastor here for our Gilmer campus. And, oh man, what a joy uh, to, to welcome you. And if you are visiting or maybe just been dis disconnected um, a little bit, I want to tell you, you are coming into a church today. Um, where God has been moving in a uniquely powerful way for the last 10 to 14 days. Um, I've, I've, as I've tried to describe what we've been able to experience in the Lord, I just keep falling over words because none of them seem to match what I've been able to experience and what I've seen other people experience in the Lord. But New Beginnings has been experiencing revival awakening, a thing that we've prayed for for two and a half years. And if you're new to church or you're new to new beginnings or you've been away from a while, hear me that when I talk about revival, I'm not talking about a series of planned meetings where you bring in a guest speaker. I'm talking about a thing that God decided to do in a moment and he just poured out Amen. and is, is pouring out. And uh, we've seen... In, in a little over 10 days, we've seen 40 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. We've seen 70 people baptized. 70 people baptized. We have, we have been in moments in the presence of God. I have watched with my eyes as the chains of lingering sin have been broken, as people feel like they've been set free from bondage. I've watched with my eyes as people have left a moment to go make a relationship right because the Holy Spirit has said, you need to go ask for forgiveness or give forgiveness. And I've watched reconciliation happen right in front of me. I've watched husbands and wives take each other by the hand and for the first time be willing to come acknowledge that their marriage is hanging on by a thread and if God doesn't move, this thing ain't going to make it. And they finally, they finally stepped out to say, yes, that's me. We, if God doesn't get involved in this thing, this is about to end. We've just seen God move in that way. Just... just more freedom in, in confessing sin and dealing with sin. I've seen hearts of repentance start to beat again. I've seen people go, if God really does oppose the proud but give grace to the humble, then somebody help me get to humble as fast as I can. Right? This, these are the things that happen when the Holy Spirit begins to pour out His presence. 
all of a sudden God's people have a determination to deal with the sin in their life. They start leaving the church to go live on mission. One of the evidences of revival is when um, people outside the walls start start letting the joy that they're experiencing in the Lord and the salvation they've experienced be out in the wall, out in the world with them, and they're just bringing people to faith. And that's what we've begun to see. Tell you tell you one story. Um, Monday we we gathered to pray uh, on the Longview campus, and one of our our uh, members there that morning was just out walking on a trail in Longview, just out getting exercise, you know, proud of him, way to go, out there walking, (laughs) encounters someone he doesn't know, they just kind of begin walking in the same direction, conversation strikes up, he just says, man, God's doing some cool stuff at our church, he doesn't know this man, invites him, said, we're going to pray tonight, why don't you come pray, so the guy shows up to pray, at the end, the Holy Spirit's moving. That guy who he met on the trail comes to faith and gets baptized that very night. And listen, I just start, yeah, it just started with somebody who's experiencing something in the Lord that they can't stop talking about. And the question that is stirring in my mind is this, how do I linger with God in what he's doing? How do I just abide with him in the thing that he's doing? Because he is doing some massive things in our church. I am seeing in our church a desire for the presence of the Holy Spirit like I have never seen before. And that's not a pat ourselves on the back thing. That's just a recognition that some of us are getting serious about our sin, serious about surrender, and God is responding to that. Um, Some of the work I'm seeing God do, some, some of you have experienced a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, and living this Christian life without that is no longer an option for you. Um, you've just experienced that. Some of you are walking in a joy of obedience. Here's what I mean by that. You're discovering there is something truly beautiful and powerful that when the Holy Spirit tells me to deal with something, if I will immediately deal with it, he's going to pour blessing into that. And you're, you're learning that. We're discovering that uh, together. The other thing I think we're discovering together is that I can never, ever be content again with a church service where God does not show up. I just can't. And I know many of you, you hear that language and you're like, well, we visited the wrong church. You think we could sneak out without them seeing? <laughs> we sat too close to the front, man. Everybody's going to see us leave. No. I'm simply telling you, there are a lot of places you can go, and this would have been one of them a few weeks ago where Many of us would have been just fine doing church stuff. But I don't ever, 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 I will not be happy again, satisfied again with a good sermon, good executed worship, and good attendance if the Holy Spirit doesn't fall. I just won't. I won't. And I want to be with the church, and I want to pastor a church where the people go, I don't care how many showed up. I don't care if I laughed and giggled and the sermon was awesome. And I don't care if the music could have been on the radio. If the Holy Spirit did not show up, it was not what I needed and what I wanted. 
I want the Holy Spirit to show up. And those are the things that we're discovering together. So again, the question is this, how do we abide in that? How do we tarry with that? That word abide, we're going to talk about a lot today. We're going to be in John 15. If you want to grab your Bible and head that direction, we're going to talk about this word abide a lot today. It's this beautiful Greek word um, that we see in the New Testament. Jesus loved this word, by the way. He used it in, in the book of John a lot. John loved this word. He used it in First and Second John. Um, and it's this word that means to rest in, to tarry with, and to have unbroken fellowship with. So when you see the word abide, and when I say that word abide, when you see it as we read it in Scripture today, those are the realities I want ringing in your heart. To tarry with, rest in, linger with, have unbroken fellowship with. That's what this word means. It's this beautiful word. And as I've thought about what God is doing and how he's moved in power, those are the exact things that have been stirring in my heart. How do I rest and linger and tarry in an unbroken fellowship with what God is doing right now among us? How do I do that? How do we abide? with him. And so we're going to jump into John 15. I want to tell you very quickly, I think John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Those are four chapters. I think they might be the most important four-chapter run in the entire Bible. They're unbelievably important. They will nourish your faith. If you do not know how to read the Bible or where to start, would you read John 14, 15, 16, and 17? Here's why. I hold that up just as important as the Sermon on the Mount. You get Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus teaches about the kingdom. I hold these four chapters up right there. Here's why. Because it is an uninterrupted run of Christ teaching. It's uninterrupted. He's just pouring out about what it means to have the Holy Spirit and, and about what it means to abide in Him and to produce fruit. And then in John chapter 17, the most beautiful thing happens, which is our high priest prays for us. And he, if you're not over that yet, I want you to hear this. Jesus Christ Himself prayed for you before you belonged to Him. He prayed for you. Our high priest prayed for us. And I find it interesting the flow of John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Because here's what happens. In John 14, you hear these beautiful truths like this. This is where Jesus says, um, um, you, you believe in God, believe also in me. Let not your heart be troubled. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to come again, and I'm going to receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. This is where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is where Jesus in John 14 promises that the Holy Spirit is going to come. He says the Father is going to send a helper. This helper is called the Spirit of Truth. And he's going to help you. He's going to guide you. In 15, he talks about abiding with him. In 16, he comes back to the Holy Spirit. He says, We're going to, I have to go so that the helper can come. He's going to guide you into truth. And here is something that struck me and I think is incredibly important for us this morning. John 14, here's the Holy Spirit. John 16, here's the Holy Spirit. He guides us into truth. He equips us to know Christ. He brings us toward Christ's likeness, guides us into righteousness. So we have this bookend of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit. And right in the middle, Jesus says, abide with me. What's the point? I want you to hear me say this. You cannot abide in Christ apart from the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. 
If you are not walking in the Spirit, if you are not being filled with the Spirit, if you're not surrendering to the Spirit, you cannot abide in Christ. Jesus goes, here's the Spirit. Abide in me. Here's the Spirit. I think that's important for us. And so, again, I want to, exp- I want to ask myself, God, if you're pouring out like this and you're saving and you're moving and you're you're dealing with sin that we've never been willing to deal with, and you're, and you're reconciling relationships, and you're calling, us, you're calling us into new obedience, and you're giving us freedom from bondage, and you're doing this work. How do we abide with you right now? How do we do that? How do we have unbroken fellowship, Holy Spirit, with what you're doing among us? And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read from John 15. I've got some very simple points that as quickly as I can, I'm going to give to you. Then we're going to pray and we're going to respond and let the Holy Spirit move among us. And we're going to be obedient to whatever He calls us to do. Amen? You with me? If you're in John, some of you are. Those of you who aren't, this is going to get rough. All right? (laughs) Being obedient to the Holy Spirit is not easy. And the more you ignore his voice when he speaks to you, deeper layers of scar tissue begin to form around your heart to the point where you stop hearing his voice. And some of you are there this morning. That is, I just described where some of you are, and you know it, though it kills you to admit it. You're at a place where you've stopped hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. And if that's you this morning, I want you to hear me. You are not beyond hope. You are not beyond the reach of the grace of God. You are no further away than a complete surrender to Him from Him breaking through that scar tissue and speaking to you again. And if I just described you, this message is for you, and at no point do you need to lean away It may not be what you thought we were going to talk about, but lean in because God wants to break through that scar tissue and he wants to speak to you today. I think for some of us, he wants to do in you what he's done in me over the last few weeks, which is he wants to deal with that little Pharisee that lives in our heart that says, I know what church is and I know what church wants to be and if it's not that, I'm not happy. He wants to deal with that. And boy, I've had to put that little Pharisee to death a few times. I'll have to do it a few more times. So John 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now why would he call himself the true vine? He would call himself the true vine because there are other vines you can attach your life to, but they are not the life-giving vine of Jesus. There are other things you can bind your life to. Success, money, your your spouse, the success of your children, the public appearance that everything is together, the right job, the right income, the right neighborhood, the outward appearance. You can bind your life to all kinds of vines. Jesus said, I'm the true vine. I'm the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser, and every branch in me that does not bear fruit takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Pruning is not pleasant, 
but it is necessary and it is beautiful. Pruning is what we do when we confess and repent. Pruning is what we do when we've acknowledged we've gotten outside. When the Holy Spirit comes and goes, you've got to deal with that. You've got to deal with that or there's, I'm not going to produce fruit. Right? That's that pruning process. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me. What are, what are you to think about every time I say abide? Rest in, linger in, unbroken fellowship. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, neither can I, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, and whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. You can't do anything. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now these next three verses are staggering. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. The love that Jesus knew between him and the Father is the love you are invited into between you and Jesus. If you keep, excuse me, as the, the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. And these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus said, I want the joy that I have to be the joy that you have. And that that joy would be overflowing, be full. So I want to give you some things very quickly. And then we're going to pray and we're going to let the Holy Spirit move. The first one is this. All spiritual life, all of it, every bit of it, is conditional upon abiding in Jesus. There is no spiritual life for us if we are not abiding in Christ. And you go, well, I got saved when I was nine. I'm good. Salvation and abiding are two different things. Salvation is the initial get connecting to the vine for the first time. Abiding is the ongoing surrender to the vine to be your source of life. You realize how easily and quickly it is for you to disconnect yourself from the true vine and bind yourself to another? That's where some of you are this morning. And there's no spiritual life. There's no spiritual power. There's no abundance. You don't remember the last time you heard the voice of the Lord. And if you were to back up, you would go, that's because my branch is not in the vine. I'm not connected to the vine. I'm all tied up with other stuff, but there's no spiritual outpouring because there's no spiritual inputting. And Jesus said, all of your spiritual life, all of it, the fruits you bear, the, the voice you hear from God, all of it is bound to me, abiding in the vine. 
All of it. There's a picture I'll show you very quickly. Everybody knows what this is? Especially you wicked heathen sinners who have been to vineyards before. Y'all know what this is. <laughs> hey, we're Southern Baptists. We speed up if we drive by a vineyard. We're like, oh, don't look. Right? Uh, <laughs> so Carrie and I, when we were uh, 15th wedding anniversary, we went to California. It was great. And we toured a vineyard. And I want to tell you, this is exactly what it looks like. That you look at that picture and go, that's not real. It's, that's what it looks like. It's beautiful, right? Now, when you look at that, I want to ask you a question. Where is your eye immediately drawn? To the fruit, right? What's the most essential part of that plant? It ain't the fruit. It's not the fruit. Hear me say this. The fruit is nothing more than the outworking of what is actually essential. The fruit is the expression of what's been protected as essential and recognized as absolutely essential. The most important part of that plant is where that little branch holding the grapes connects to that big vine. That is what's most important. That's where the nutrients pour in. That's where the security and the stability pours in so that it can be sustained when wind blows and rain falls. That's where uh, all the life and the moisture, it's all poured in through the vine. The eye goes to the fruit, Jesus says, let it rest in the vine. So hear me, when you are asking yourself constantly, am I producing fruit? Am I producing fruit? Am I seeing the fruit of the Spirit? Am I seeing the gifts of the Spirit? Does my life produce fruit? Ask yourself this question, am I in the vine? Otherwise, you're going to grow content with seeing things you can produce, not what's produced supernaturally by abiding in Christ. I don't ever want to be content with good work that I can produce. I want to rejoice in the supernatural outworking of the vine in my life. How do I? I got to abide in the vine. And I want you to hear me. There is very real spiritual fruit that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in your life. Very real spiritual fruit. That's not some ethereal language that's not real for us. There is real spiritual fruit He wants to produce in your life. He wants to produce the fruit of holiness. Of holiness. He wants to produce the fruit of repentance. He wants to produce the fruit of faith where you bring to bear on every circumstance and trial in this life a bedrock faith that God is going to bring me through and this may not feel good, but it's for my good and he's going to get glory. He wants to build in you a fruit of faith. He wants to build in you the fruit of of, of sharing your story, seeing other, He wants to build the fruit of salvation, not just what He works in you, but what He then works through you in the lives of others. There is very real spiritual fruit He wants to work out into your life. So how do we do that? Here's the next thing, next little picture to show you. It's, it's, it's this simple. It's this simple. It's, it's not one bit more complicated than that. Jesus is the vine. As a believer, as a believer, I'm the tiny little branch. 
And in that abiding, the Holy Spirit will start to produce fruit. That's it. For some of you, there ought to be some relief in you being able to liberate yourself from the need to produce fruit. What you need is to abide. And if you will abide in the vine, the Holy Spirit will begin to produce the fruit. He'll begin to produce the fruit of repentance, the fruit of faith, the fruit of believing, the fruit of strength, the fruit of joy, the fruit of evangelism. Spiritual gifts will start to awaken in you. Every spiritual awakening that we've seen for the last 200 years, every one of them, yes, that they, they resulted in lost people being saved, but they began with saved people being connected back to the vine. They began with people who belonged to Jesus surrendering, dealing with their sin, praying, being willing to acknowledge their weakness and inviting God's power to move among them. It, it, was, it was the fruit of God's people praying and surrendering. That's where it, it, abiding in the vine. That's the first thing. All of your spiritual life, all of it, is conditional upon abiding in Jesus. That's not just a moment of salvation. That's a daily surrender to him. Here's the second thing. Abiding in Christ demands remaining steadfast in His Word and in prayer. Steadfast in His Word and in prayer. Look at those words that Jesus says starting in verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be My disciples, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So Jesus talks about abiding in his words and abiding in his love. It's this picture of obedience and intimacy. It's this picture of walking in obedience to his word and having intimacy in his love. Love, his presence at work among us. What does it mean to abide in his words? He says, if you abide in me, abide in my words. If you keep my commandments, what is this? I want you to hear me this morning. I told you it was going to be simple, but if we don't do it, it doesn't matter. We cannot know God apart from God's word. There is not a version of God and a version of Jesus and a version of the Holy Spirit that you get to experience that is not revealed to us in this word. He has spoken to us what he would have us know of him. And this is why Jesus said, you've got to abide in my word. You cannot know God's will for your life. You cannot know his plans and purposes. You cannot know his desire for you, his call on your life, his love for you, his joy for you, the power he wants to pour out, the glory he wants demonstrated in your life apart from his word. Jesus said, you got to abide in my words. What does that mean? It means every day, every day, consistently, Intently, purposefully, humbly, we open this living word and we let it get in us. Notice I didn't just say get in the word, I said let the word get in you. 
right? Everybody in this room knows what I mean when I say it is possible to read the Bible, check a box, and go do whatever you want. So what's the difference between reading and abiding in the Word? The difference is when I open that book to read, I surrender all of myself to whatever it's about to say. And no matter what it says, I'm surrendered to that. It doesn't surrender to me, I surrender to it. I approach it humbly, consistently. And when I open it, I ask the Holy Spirit to speak to me in it. And what he says, I do. That's the word abiding in you. And abiding in the word. Jesus also said, abide in my love. He says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you're going to abide in my love. This is that picture of ongoing intimacy with Jesus, ongoing relationship uh, with him. Well, how do we experience, what is the primary way that we experience intimacy with Christ? What's the primary way our intimacy is nourished in our relationship with him? It's in prayer. Prayer is the primary means you've been given to know the love of God and experience an intimate relationship with Him. It's the primary means. Some of us have got, some of us for this morning, your prayer has got to be, Father, deliver me from a toothless, casual prayer life. Deliver me. Intimacy with Jesus is experienced and it is nourished in prayer. That is where we get that. Because it is possible to read your Bible and not be intimate with God. It happens. So how do we do that? Pray every day, every day, every day, every moment. Every time you're tempted, you pray. Every time doubt comes up, you pray. Every time the enemy tries to steer you off course, you pray. Every moment of defeat, you pray. Every anxiety, you pray. Every moment of indecision and you need wisdom, you pray. When you have a burden for someone else, you pray. When you want to see God move in their life, you pray. When you know God needs to show up in your day, you pray. When you're feeling complacent, you pray. When your joy dips, you pray. Every moment. It's why when the Bible talks about prayer, it says words like earnestly, constantly. (laughs) Right? Pray in your closet. Pray with people. We gather every Wednesday at 6.30 to do one thing, one thing. Pray, pray, pray. And what we've seen over the last two weeks is the answer of two years worth of praying. Why do I tell you that? Because you may have to pray before God moves from what you're asking. This is why God says we pray constantly. We take every need to the Father. Now, why this demand? Why this demand to, uh, f- for the Word, to abide in the Word, and to abide in His love, divide in this, d- to abide in this intimacy and in prayer? Because I want you to hear me this morning. We cannot know God only in our minds. 
We cannot know God only in our intellectual capacity. It's that's not how he reveals. He doesn't just reveal himself to our minds. We have to know him in our spirit. He didn't come to save my mind. He came to save my soul and through the salvation of my soul, redeem my mind, redeem my body, redeem my desires, redeem my doubts. But for some of us, we never get any further than our intellectual, carnal understanding of God. And he's never actually captured the heart and transformed your soul. He didn't come to save your mind. He came to redeem it as he saved your soul. As you were born again. And when we only know God in our intellect, when we only know God and what we've reasoned about him, and he's never actually taken ownership of our heart, then what happens is we reduce God down to the highest thoughts my finite mind can think about him. All of a sudden, God has to get up under the lid of what I think about happiness, joy, power, freedom, victory, anxiety. He has to get, I, I reduce him down to the best thought that I can think of him. But Jesus did not die to be reduced down. He, did, he died so that he could take my best understanding and raise me up to his standard of joy and freedom and life and victory. But he's got to capture the heart. He's got to capture the heart. And my question to you is, what do you know of God? Has it ever gotten deeper than the intellect of your mind? Your mind will not live forever. Your mind does not go past this world. He came for your heart. For the soul of man. How do I walk in that intimacy where he's getting past, he's getting down into the core of me? I abide in his word and I abide in prayer. Last thing. When we abide in Christ, we experience supernatural joy. Supernatural joy. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you. What things? Things about abiding in me. Things about abiding in my word. Things about abiding in my love. Remaining in me. Holding fast to me. Knowing the intimacy and the nearness of my love. These things I've spoken to you that, here's why, my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. When was the last time you truly knew the joy of the Lord? There are a whole lot of cranky Christians walking around this world right now. Am I wrong? You tell me if I'm wrong. There are a lot of miserable looking believers who look like they have no joy in the thing Jesus has said he's done for them. They look miserable. It, and it's because they feel miserable. 
the most defeating thing that I have seen over the last two weeks are those watching others find joy in the Lord but being unwilling to humble themselves to acknowledge it as a thing they need. And so they've just kind of kept it. Jesus said, I want to give you joy. Joy. Not some worldly counterfeit happiness that crumbles beneath the weight of circumstance. He said, I want to give you a joy that brings the full weight of my presence to bear on everything you deal with in this life, every hardship the world can create, and every temptation the devil can contrive. That's the joy I want to give you. When you so that when you come to that hardship and that strife and that struggle and that temptation, you bring the full weight of my presence to bear with you against that. I want to give you that kind of joy. That kind of joy. This is why David said in Psalm 51, after being in that season of sin and the Holy Spirit was starting to get a hold of his heart, this is why he begged, restore to me the joy. The thing I forfeited in my sin, restore it to me. Give it to me again. This is why God says in Psalm 16, when I pour out my presence, you get the full measure of my joy. This is why Nehemiah said in Nehemiah 8, he's standing around with these people. The walls of Jerusalem are crumbled. They're destroyed. Enemies are advancing. And Nehemiah didn't say, hey guys, the walls of Jerusalem are our strength. No, he said the joy of the Lord is our strength. What's going to hold us up against this wave of enemies? It isn't our will, it's His joy. It's the joy of the Lord. Peter said in 1 Peter that when we abide in Christ, when we rest in Him, knowing Him, He does a work in us that gives us joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That's His words. It's the words of the Bible. Do you have that? Joy that is inexpressible. Some of you are terrified to be happy. I'm not, that's, I don't, don't hear me picking. Hear me say, you've become so comfortable in a discontent heart. That the thought of a full surrender in order to invite the joy of the Lord feels so foreign. I want you to hear me. Jesus died so that you would have joy. Romans 15 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy. There is supernatural joy for you that doesn't care about your circumstances. It brings joy to the moment. The moment doesn't speak back to the joy. The joy speaks to the moment. And I wonder if you are experiencing that in your walk with the Lord. All right, so what do we do? I want to ask you this. Do you need this? Do you need to abide in Christ this way.
Because in a minute, a minute, I'm going to pray, and we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to move. And already some of you are excited because you feel like the message is about to end, and you know I'm about to get out of here because I'm feeling some stuff, and I don't want to deal with any of it, and you can't wait to get out of this room. For some of you, though, today is the day where Jesus calls you to come abide. Come rest in Him. Come be born again. Do you need to be awakened from a casual, powerless prayer life? Do you need to be set free from a domesticated, feeble Christian life? experience personal revival a personal awakening if what that says is true then whatever I gotta do to get that I'm doing if that's true then whatever I gotta do that's what I want I don't ever want to be content with watching someone else have a joy, have a freedom, have a revival, have the presence of the Spirit that I'm not walking in. Abide with me, Jesus said, and I will abide in you. All your spiritual life is bound up in this. Your joy is bound up in this. Your freedom is bound up. What do we do? There's some very practical steps. The, I've been reading a little book about the Welsh revival that broke out in the early 1900s where some 100,000 people came to faith, transformed a, a nation. There was a young man that God used in a powerful way during that time. His name was Evan Roberts. I would encourage you, if you want to write his name down, go read about Evan Roberts and the Welsh revival. It's powerful what God did. And God gave Evan Roberts some practical steps for revival and walking in victory. And Evan Roberts would rarely preach a sermon where he didn't walk people through this. He said, you want blessing? You want revival? You want spiritual power? Here's what you do. Confess any sin. Confess every sin. It's time for God's people to stop being satisfied with, forgive me for my many sins. And it's time for us to start getting real about what those are, giving them a name, calling them out, and asking to be forgiven and set free. Right every wrong. Right every wrong. If there's a wrong you have committed against someone, whether they know it or not, make it right. If there's lingering unforgiveness and bitterness towards someone, make it right. If, If you need to extend forgiveness or you need to receive forgiveness because of a hurt you've received, give it. If you've taken something that didn't belong to you, said a word that was dishonest, inflated yourself to make yourself look good, right every wrong that you can. Right every wrong. Let go of every doubt. Oh, this one's hard. Help us, Lord. Help us with this one. Let go of every doubt. I wonder what would happen if God's people just decided that what God's word says 
was true and they don't have to doubt it. They can just live it, just walk in it. Some of you are doubting whether the Holy Spirit work you've seen over the last 14 days can happen in your life. In just a moment, you got to come to this altar and confess that, God, I have doubted that you want to or that you're willing to deal and, and move in my life this way. I've doubted that it's real. I've had a spirit of cynicism. i got to confess that. Let go of every doubt and obey the Holy Spirit. So we're going to pray. And the Holy Spirit has been speaking. And when I say amen, we're going to have people standing along this wall and that wall. They're available to pray with you. But we're going to turn these steps into an altar. There's pillows across the front. And all that we are doing for the rest of our time together is praying and responding to the Holy Spirit. And whatever he has spoken or is speaking to you now, if what you want is a renewed life, spiritual, that spiritual life, the abundant life that Jesus died to save and to give you, if that's what you want, whatever he is speaking to you now, you got to get up and come. You can totally linger in your seat and walk out that room and have nothing more than what you walked in with, but that is not his goodwill for you. Some of you need to get saved today. You need to say, you know what? I've been around church, but I've never given my heart to Jesus. I know him here, but he doesn't own this. And all I've ever done is tried to bring God down to the highest thoughts I can think of him. And what I need is for him to bring me up to the life that he died to give me. So I'm going to pray. If it's a sin issue, if you, if you need to be healed this morning and you just want to step out in faith and say, I want to be prayed for that God would bring a healing into my body, we would love to do that. Kenny Williams, one of our elders, is here. I'm here. We, we'll anoint you with oil. We'll pray. We'll ask God to bring a healing. If you need to grab your spouse and come hit this thing, whatever the Holy Spirit speaks. Father, I love you and I'm praying, God, that we would not, that we would not abide in our comfort or abide in our preconceived ideas of what you're willing to do, but that we would abide in the Holy Spirit, in the person and work of Jesus, that we would abide with you. Lord, you have moved in power. Move in power again. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Whatever the Holy Spirit is telling you to do, you come and do.